Volume three, chapter eight of the Mummy, a tale of the twenty second century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy, a tale of the twenty second century by Jane Loudon. Volume three, chapter eight. Have you heard the news? asked lord maysworth one morning bustling into the breakfast-room of lord gustavus de montfort what is it demanded the noble lord who was sitting at breakfast with his usual satellites the king of ireland has arrived at oxford with an immense army intending to re-establish elvira impossible cried lord gustavus impossible echoed the satellites something must be done said lord maysworth thinking as i think and as i am confident every one who hears me must think or at least ought to think said lord gustavus no government can be worse than the one we have at present the queen has not performed one of her promises subjoined dr hartman and her caprice and cruelty are beyond endurance her extravagance is unbounded said lord maysworth and her arrogance extreme rejoined lord gustavus the satellites shook their heads in chorus in my opinion said lord maysworth we had better seek elvira and try to propitiate her she was used to be mild and gentle but will she not be too much exasperated with our former desertion to listen to us asked dr hardman i think not said lord gustavus pompously the result of this conference may be easily imagined rosabella found herself deserted many who would not have had courage to abandon her cause had they not found precedents for their conduct fled in the suite of the rebel lords roderick rapidly advanced and his army was every day augmented by the discontented english i am lost marian cried the queen when she found the enemy was within a day's march of her capital i am ruined past redemption do not desert yourself said marian and you may yet be saved if you despair it is a virtual acknowledgment of the weakness of your cause what will become of me continued rosabella wringing her hands no earthly help can save me but courage may said the deep voice of cheops who had entered the room unobserved ah screamed rosabella it is the fiend cheops laughed and the unearthly sound rang hoarsely in the ears of his auditors speak demon or whatever thou art cried marian shall we perish you shall meet with your reward said the mummy calmly are you satisfied oh rosabella screamed father morris rushing into the room in an agony of despair save her save my child your child cried rosabella can it be possible that you are my father i am i am but fly fly and i forgive everything only let us fly alas cried marian he has but too much reason for his agony the enemy have entered the city what will become of us ejaculated the friar fiend monster barbarian cried he addressing cheops and seizing him roughly by the arm deliver us it was thy accursed counsels which involved us in ruin save us my counsels that led you to ruin returned cheops with one of his bitter laughs say rather your own passions did i urge you to murder claudia nay 
Did I not save Elvira? Did I not warn you that the throne and misery were inseparably connected? And have not all my promises been fulfilled to the very letter? Yes, yes, to the letter, returned Father Morris, but not in spirit. By the sacred hawks of Osiris, kept at Edfu, I swore Rosabella should be queen, and you her favorite minister. Talk not of what is past, cried the priest impatiently. Tell me how to act. The foe is at the gates of the palace. Did you not say there was a secret passage leading from this chamber? There is, there is, cried Father Morris with rapture. We will there lie concealed, and may surprise them. Caops laughed. Am I still your foe? asked he with his usual bitterness. Name it not, name it not, cried Father Morris. We have not an instant to lose. Hurry into the subterranean passage. I hear the horses of the enemy in the court of the palace. Thebes was perforated with passages, yet she has fallen, muttered Caops as he followed the friar and Rosabella through the opening into the secret chamber. Marion joined them, and the spring panel closed. Nothing could be more flattering than the reception Elvira met with from the people. Roderick had placed her at the head of his army, and the people hailed her appearance with rapture. Not a blow had been struck, for the army of Rosabella had joined her banners, and Elvira advanced to London without opposition. Too mild and forgiving to indulge a single feeling of revenge, she felt rejoiced that her rival had escaped, and wished no pursuit to be instituted. Edric, however, was not so quiescent. A thousand circumstances flashed upon his mind, to prove that the accession of Rosabella had been long planned by Father Morris, and he felt convinced he had been the dupe of the plans they had laid to induce him to quit the kingdom. "'I will find him,' said he, "'and expose his infamy. He shall not escape me thus.' Vain, however, was his search, and he returned to the room so lately occupied by Rosabella, restless and dispirited. Elvira was now in this splendid chamber, surrounded by her friends, and trembling with agitation, was awaiting the expected arrival of her father. "'Oh, heavens!' exclaimed she, as the poor old man was led in. "'Roderick, my beloved Roderick, can we not save him?' "'Alas!' returned Roderick. "'I fear—' But compose yourself, my dearest girl. All may yet go well. Where is Elvira? My child, my darling Elvira, cried the old man. I did not kill her, no, whispered he, drawing near to Roderick. I killed him, it is true, but it was for her sake. He slandered my child, and I could not bear that. Oh, God, oh, God, cried Elvira, have mercy upon him. It breaks my heart to see him thus. Leave us, I implore you, she continued, addressing her friends. I cannot bear that even you should see the extent of his malady. Leave him with me, and perhaps my presence may recall his lost recollection. Finding opposition only increase her anxiety, her friends at length consented. And Elvira was left alone with her father. Kneeling by his side, as he lay stretched upon a sofa, the queen endeavoured to console him, but he knew her not, and wrung her heart by calling vehemently upon Elvira. "'If I could see my child,' said he, 
I should die contented. Call my child. Where is Elvira? Yes, yes, I know she is a queen and cannot come to me. Yet I think even a queen might look at her poor old father. I only want her to look at me. Whilst this scene was passing, Rosabella and her friends lay concealed in the secret chamber, and, through the immovable panel, watched everything that passed. "'Now is the time,' cried Father Morris, when he saw that Elvira, exhausted by her grief, had hidden her face in her hands, to indulge her tears unrestrainedly. "'You ensure your own destruction if you attempt to kill her?' said Cheops. "'I care not,' returned Father Morris, and removing the panel he approached. Elvira saw him not, and the shining dagger already was aimed at her breast when it caught the eye of the maniac, and returning reason flashed through his mind. "'Edgar!' cried he with a piercing scream. "'Spare my child!' The cry roused the friends of Elvira, who had remained in the antechamber, and they rushed in. In an instant the room was crowded. Father Morris was secured, and his confederates, from his having left the panel open, discovered. "'Edgar!' cried the duke yes it is edgar my brother my only brother and this is elvira she is not fled i knew she was not she is safe and is it possible cried edric that you can be duke edgar i am that wretch said father morris then rosabella is my child and for her i have become the wretch i am yet to her i have done my duty and if she be spared ah cried monsieur de Malet, it is it is yes i am not deceived that is the woman who sold us pauline who which exclaimed edric eagerly there cried the swiss pointing to marion marion exclaimed edric yes said she marion he is right it was i and now is the moment of my vengeance seduced and deserted by this man pointing to father morris my passions always impetuous panted for revenge i instigated him to murder the wife for whom he had abandoned me i stole his child and sold her to a stranger and i substituted my own wretched offspring whom i had had by a man he abhorred in its place what cried father morris his livid lips quivering with anguish is not rosabella my child no said marian Twenty years ago I sold your child to this gentleman, pointing to Monsieur de Mallet. He was a foreigner, and I believed, by placing her in his hands, you would never see her more. Then who is Rosabella? My child, and by your servant Jacques. Curses on thee, woman! What, have I then destroyed myself here and hereafter for the offspring of that wretch? A man I detested abhorred despised yes said marian with a fiendish laugh you abandoned me and i swore to be revenged he heard my oath and by promising to assist me obtained my consent to be his paramour by his aid i effected all the rest he has long been dead but still i have pursued my plan and when i saw you risking soul and body for rosabella i have gloried for i was revenged fiend cried the priest and rushing upon her before any one could prevent him he stabbed her to the heart 
and then instantly withdrawing the dagger buried it in his own bosom still i am revenged cried marian as heaving a deep sigh she expired father morris never spoke again my tale is nearly closed for dull must be the mind that cannot picture all the rest the duke recovered his reason and enjoyed all the happiness his bosom was yet capable of in witnessing the union of his daughter and roderick whom he had loved as henry seymour and now adored as the hero of ireland he gave pauline a noble fortune as his niece and she married edric who in the absence of his brother took possession of his father's wealth and fixed his residence in his former dwelling where after all his troubles dr andwerfen found himself comfortably re-established in his ancient chamber whilst clara by becoming the bride of prince ferdinand secured her own happiness the coronation of roderick and elvira as king and queen of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland was superb and far excelled that in which elvira had previously been an actress taught wisdom by experience however she no longer placed implicit reliance upon the shouts of applause which followed her footsteps yet even with the reflection that all the promises she received might be evanescent she could not resist the emotion of pleasure that swelled her breast when after the priest had pronounced the nuptial benediction she walked with roderick the chosen of her heart through a long line of kneeling subjects and heard every mouth implore blessings on their heads and bestow praises on her choice proudly did elvira look around as she reached the entrance of westminster hall yet ere she entered it a rush and bustle in the crowd attracted her attention and a man clad like a monk threw himself before her elvira screamed when the man throwing back his cowl fixed his heavy eyes upon her and exclaimed do you not know me elvira it was edmund alas alas cried he the demon was right i trusted in my own strength and i have fallen miserably fallen though i knew it not ambition was my god and everything else weighed lightly in the scale yet even when my ambition was gratified i was wretched for i loved you elvira even whilst i plotted against you and as my own heart reproached me i felt every wrong you suffered far more poignantly than you could yourself my poor father too but all is over now and i am doomed to bitter expiation of my sins bitter indeed for oh how far beyond all other sufferings are the never-dying tortures of remorse one thought alone haunted my mind one image alone floated before my senses i could not die till i had obtained your pardon pardon me then elvira see thus humbly at thy feet i implore thy forgiveness crouching in the dust and bending my neck to be thy footstool rise i entreat you rise said elvira and be assured i forgive you nay that i pity you from my inmost soul she pities me cried edmund yet i can bear even this even pity and am i indeed fallen so low as to be pitied yes yes i am indeed to be pitied i did not mean to wound your feelings returned elvira believe me edmund tell me what is there i can do for you nothing cried he wildly the world is nothing for me now pity that unhappy woman who was my wife and as for me forget me never said elvira 
for never can i forget your disinterested love and your devoted affection their heart however is capricious and mine though sensible to your merits was destined for another and well does that other deserve your love for even jealousy itself must own that roderick is worthy to be your husband yes to him i can resign you farewell elvira you shall never see me more let my brother take my inheritance may you be happy god bless you god bless you and starting from his knees he disappeared before she could reply the spirits of elvira were agitated by this event which threw a damp over the remaining festivities of the day and trembling and unnerved she proceeded to the magnificent hall where a sumptuous banquet was prepared for her reception for some days after this event the attention of roderick and elvira was occupied in arranging the different affairs of the kingdom whilst edric and pauline with the old duke of cornwall monsieur de molay and father murphy retired to the house of the former in the country where dr Enwerfen was already comfortably established a thousand emotions swelled in the heart of edric as he approached this venerable mansion and saw again its well-known turrets peeping through the trees strange indeed are the feelings that oppress the mind when the wanderer returns after a long absence to the habitation of his forefathers a mingled crowd of contradictory sensations of disappointed hopes of undefined fears float through his fancy and as well-remembered objects recall the visions which formerly delighted him he starts at the difference the experience of their fallacy has made in himself and he sighs in vain for a return of the blissful ignorance he formerly despised all too appears changed as the human mind judges only by comparison the eyes become dazzled by distant splendours and that which to the eyes of youth had appeared superb seems to the mature judgment of manhood tame vapid and insipid whilst the imagination which had fondly cherished the favourite dreams of childhood and decked them in all the vivid colours of fancy feels disappointed and disgusted though its curse knows why to find the reality so different from the image it had pictured to itself such were the feelings of edric as he entered the grand hall of this residence of his ancestors and gazed upon the well-remembered faces of the crowd of servants assembled to meet him at the head of these was davies his tall thin figure waving to and fro and his long white hair floating upon his shoulders and the more spruce and gallant aspects of Ablod and his devoted eloise the late mrs russell who had blessed him with the possession of her fair hand a few days before and now stood blushing and simpering with all the affected modesty of a bride of sixty to receive the congratulations of those around her welcome welcome my dear edric cried dr Enverfen, rushing downstairs to meet them his sleeves tucked up and his wig thrown back in a very experimental philosophic manner rejoice with me too for i have recovered my balloon my darling caoutchouc bottle of inflammability my immortalizing snuff and more than all my adored galvanic battery yes my compendium of science my epitome of talent and my most inestimable treasure is safe not indeed that which was employed in galvanizing the mummy but its counterpart its duplicate its prototype the mummy came to england 
and the balloon being recognized to be mine it was placed in my apartment where it has remained ever since stowed up in safe but inglorious obscurity till my return oh and that's a clear case said father murphy and there's no doubt of it leaving the delighted doctor to show the treasures of his laboratory to m de Mallet, edric retired to his chamber and after surveying again and again the well-known objects it contained he hurried to his favourite grove it is singular how inanimate objects which have been long unseen recall the thoughts and train of feelings indulged in when one last beheld them thus the house the groves the walks the gardens and the river recalled all its former longings to edric's mind and he again burned to converse with the disembodied spirit as he entered the grove where he had formerly so often ruminated and indulged dreams wild and improbable as the delusions of delirium the day was beautiful it was one of those bright glowing mornings in april when few drops hang upon every thorn when the sun shines brightly through the clear pure air and all nature seems awaking to new life and vigour from repose edric entered the grove and threw himself upon that very bank where he had reclined only a few months before under such different feelings the river the grove the bank were all the same he only was changed and yet said he is not my mind still as unsettled as before am i not still wandering in a labyrinth of doubts unknowing where to turn and yet tormented with a restless desire to discover my way what can have become of the mummy i so strangely resuscitated it is strange that since the restoration of elvira it seems to have vanished and yet all here speak of it as of a living animated being would that i could see it o oh, cheops cheops suddenly a strange unearthly voice seemed to murmur harshly in his ear go to the pyramid there and there only can thy hopes be gratified edric started upon his feet no one was near him and not a sound broke the awful stillness which reigned around save the gentle rippling of the river that flowed at his feet he gazed wildly on every side hoping yet fearing to behold the ghastly being he fancied his words had conjured up it was in vain no dark figure interposed between him and the clear bright sunshine no gloomy shadow stretched along the plain all looked gay as youth and happiness yet still that awful voice rang in his ears and thrilled through every nerve i will go to the pyramid cried he energetically i will again enter that horrid tomb but i will go alone in pursuance of this sudden but irresistible desire edric hastily prepared to return to egypt and feigning that he was called to london by business of importance to satisfy the anxious curiosity of pauline he departed indescribable emotions throbbed in his bosom as he took his seat in the stage balloon which was to convey him to egypt but when he saw the towers and temples and above all the pyramids of this mysterious country lying beneath his feet his agitation increased almost to agony it was with infinite difficulty that he obtained permission again to visit the objects of his journey as since the mysterious disappearance of the mummy the tomb of cheops had been closed from mortal eyes 
the interference of the british consul however at length obviated all objections and edric whose impatience had become absolute torture from the delay once more entered that awful receptacle of fallen greatness scarcely a twelvemonth had elapsed since he had last trodden those solemn vaults yet what a change had taken place in his destiny when he considered the number and variety of the events which had befallen him he could scarcely fancy it possible that they had been crowded into so short a space of time and instead of a year centuries seemed to have rolled over his head his feeling of personal identity seemed confused his senses became bewildered and he mechanically followed his conductor almost without knowing whither he was going at last the guide stopped this is the tomb of Cheops," said he i suppose sir you will enter it alone edric started the words of the guide seemed to ring in his ears as the knell of death and he shuddered as the thought crossed his mind that some horrid and appalling punishment might even now await him for his presumption desperately he snatched the torch from the hands of his guide and advanced alone darkly did those gloomy vaults seem to frown at his approach and fearfully did his footsteps resound as he slowly penetrated into their deep recesses at length he reached the tomb but the brazen gates were closed and he attempted in vain to open them he placed the torch upon the ground and again tried to unclose the fatal portal he exerted his whole strength but still it resisted his efforts rendered desperate he now threw himself against the gates with almost superhuman force suddenly a hollow sound murmured through the cavern and the current of wind rushed by with mighty and resistless fury the brazen gates flew open with a fearful clang and the torch fell and was extinguished the next moment the sepulchral lamp shot forth a faint gleaming light which brightened by degrees into a steady flame whilst heavenly music sounded faintly upon the ear dying gradually away in murmurs soft as those of the aeolian harp the brilliant light of the lamp now glowed with noonday radiance and showed distinctly every corner of the fatal chamber edric looked timidly around and shuddered as each well-remembered object met his eyes but what was his horror and surprise when glancing at the marble sarcophagus of Cheops, he beheld the gigantic figure of the mummy standing erect beside it it was again simply wrapped in the garments of the tomb and its glassy eyes rigid features and statue-like form chilled edric to the heart he looked at it a few moments in silence till it raised its arm and seemed about to address him when shrinking back with indescribable horror he uttered a faint shriek and hid his face in his hands why dost thou tremble asked the mummy in a deep hollow voice which thrilled through edric's very soul didst thou not come here to seek me and dost thou shudder to behold my form i am now before thee ask what thou wilt i am permitted to reply why art thou silent why does thy heart seem to wither in my presence alas alas is no mortal to be found free from the debasing influence of fear thou art cold bold courageous and noble thou hast dared to soar above thy fellow-men and thou hast ardently wished to see me behold 
i am here and now weak fearful and inconsistent as thou art thou shunnest my approach i do not shun thee said edric removing his hands and endeavouring to look calmly on the fearful being before him though the flesh seemed to quiver on his bones with the effort i do not shun thee but the nerves will shrink though the mind be firm i did wish to see thee for ardently do i still desire to know the secrets of the tomb cheops burst into one of his fearful laughs weak silly worm are you not satisfied then how would this knowledge avail you has anything but misery attended your former researches and can anything but misery attend the knowledge you now covet learn wisdom by experience seek not to pry into secrets denied to man if you wish still however to be resolved of your doubts behold me ready to satisfy them but i warn you wretchedness will await upon my words then i will no longer seek to hear them for even weak as you esteem me i can learn wisdom from experience thus then i tear the tormentic doubts which so long have haunted me from my mind and bid them farewell for ever it is well said cheops his eyes beaming with joy then my task is accomplished i have at last found a reasonable man i honour you for you can command yourself and now you may command me i wish it not said edric have you no curiosity asked the mummy with a ghastly smile none returned edric unless it be that i would fain know your history and the meaning of the sculptures upon your tomb what are they demanded cheops a youthful warrior is bearing off a beautiful woman in his arms whilst an old man laments bitterly in the distance i was the warrior said cheops and the beautiful female was arsinoe i loved her and to gratify my impetuous passion i tore her from the arms of her father by force the warrior is afterwards contending with the old man who falls beneath his blows he did he did cried cheops he died by my hand and eternal misery haunts me for the deed and this old man was my father cried the mummy wreathing in agony and arsinoe was my sister my own beloved sister a solemn pause followed this speech for edric was too much shocked to speak again to the awful being who had avowed such crimes and upon whose face were traced passions too horrible to be imagined after a short silence cheops again exclaimed yes yes i see your horror and it is just but think you that i do not suffer know that the fiend a wild never-dying fiend rages here continued he pressing his hand upon his breast it gnaws my vitals it burns with unquenchable fire and never-ceasing torment permitted for a time to revisit earth i have made use of the powers entrusted to me to assist the good and punish the malevolent under pretence of aiding them i gave them counsels which only plunged them yet deeper in destruction whilst the evil that my advice appeared to bring upon the good was only like a passing cloud before the sun it gave lustre to the success that followed my task is now finished 
be happy edric for happiness is in your power be wise for wisdom may be obtained by reflection and be merciful for unless we give how can we expect mercy rely not on your own strength seek not to pry into mysteries designed to be concealed from man and enjoy the comforts within your reach for know that knowledge above the sphere of man's capacity produces only wretchedness and that to be contented with our station and to make ourselves useful to our fellow-creatures is the only true path to happiness the mummy ceased to speak and his features which had appeared wild and animated during his conversation with edric became fixed the unearthly lustre that had flashed from his eyes faded away and gave place to a glassy deadness his limbs became rigid and as the light of the lamp gradually sank to less distinctness the ghastly form of the mummy seemed rapidly changing into stone edric felt that the moment when it was possible for him to hold communion with this strange being was rapidly passing away and almost shrieked as he exclaimed one question only one ere it be too late the mummy feebly raised his languid eyelids but edric felt his blood freeze at the unnatural glare with a violent effort however he roused himself to speak was it a human power that dragged you from the tomb the power that gave me life could alone restore it replied the mummy in slow measured accents as it sank gradually back into its former tomb edric shuddered and involuntarily rushed forward but the mummy no longer lived or breathed cold pale and inanimate it lay as though its sleep of three thousand years had never been broken oblivion laid him down upon its hairs and no mortal could ever more boast of holding converse with the mummy end of chapter eight of volume three end of the mummy a tale of the twenty-second century by jane loudon